Hi, this is David Marquez, and you are listening to The Ultimate Spin. Welcome, true believers. My name is Brian, and thank you for downloading Ultimate Spin, the world's number one spider fan podcast for Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. The web is so much more than Peter Parker, and together with my co-hosts Noor and Kyle, we're thrilled to be your audio companion to these characters' ongoing adventures. It's June 2015, and this episode finds us examining a different corner of the web. Since our main titles are on summer hiatus with Secret Wars, we're doing a listener request special on Silk issues 1 through 5. Also, as this episode was recorded just hours after the exciting Miles Morales news hit the internet, we kick things off talking about his new series coming this fall and what we'd like to see for the Spider Gang in the all-new, all-different Marvel Universe. Don't forget, you can find show notes, contact information, and all of our previous episodes at ultimatespinpodcast.com. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get to know the world of Cindy Moon. It's time for the Ultimate Spin. So it is Sunday, June 21st, as we're recording this. It's first thing in the morning for Noor and myself, early afternoon for Kyle. We were originally going to record this yesterday, but then real life happened, so we had to delay. And it worked out because there was some breaking news really exciting for us at Ultimate Spin. That is, of course, the big news that Kelly Sue DeConnick is stepping down from Captain Marvel. Very sad stuff. Psych! <laughs> no, Miles is getting his own book. Miles Morales Woo! is getting his own book. And we had a tweet recently from our new listener, Amadu Gidado. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He tweets at A-C-E-U-N. His question was, what name do you think Miles will have if there are two Spider-Mans? And the name of this new book is... Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah, so there's your answer. <laughs> that is just Spider-Man. It's really exciting. Think- yeah, this book is also going to see uh, Sarah Pichelli return to the book, so Bendis will be writing it. So the original team is back. Yeah, and I think I think I like the idea of just naming it Spider-Man. It reinforces the fact that he's not just some other spider. He was the Spider-Man of the Ultimate Universe, and even though he may not be the main spider of this universe, nothing changes in terms of his... Uh, his status, I guess. Yeah, Bendis, uh, in the interview that was published originally on New York Daily News and has been reposted on multiple sites, um, his line on that was, our message has to be, it's not Spider-Man with an asterisk. It is the real Spider-Man for kids of color, for adults of color, and everybody else. So this is this is going to be Spider-Man going forward. But Peter Parker isn't going anywhere. He's actually going to be sticking around as a, a mentor. So I guess we're going to go for some... Something like a Batman Beyond vibe, maybe? Yeah. I think, even for as much as they like to t- kind of tease that, oh, will there be a spider, a normal Peter Parker book coming? I'm like, yeah, there probably will be. Of course I there think will be. that he won't be as, in this one at least, he might be more Spider Man than Peter Parker in it. I don't know. Hopefully, it's more Peter Parker than anything. Mm-hmm. Interesting Peter Parker instead of the one that we're used to in the 616. Yeah, and then in the Miles uh, promo art that we saw, there's a little sign for Parker Industries in the background. So it's a cool nod for Peter, and then we'll see what's going forward for, for uh, both those characters in the fall. 
So we're very, very excited about that. So if anything, it's kind of making me want Secret Wars to finish up even quicker. Just kind of get it over with and get to the the part I'm really interested in. Because if it was ever more necessary for this series to finally be over, and for Brian to want it to be over, (laughs) it's for a new Miles book. I think that's a valid reason. Of course. We're very excited. We'll be eagerly watching for more news to break on that and, you know, curious to see what's in store for... Peter Parker, and for Dan Slott, if he's going to stick around writing Spider-Man, like, what is that going to look like? It's all up in the air now with Secret Wars, right? But, I mean, we will see. Hopefully we get some good books coming out. And is Marvel's releasing 60 new titles, correct? That's 60, yep. Yeah, so there is lots of room for lots of books, so we will see more about that when it unfolds. We had, the, we had an email from our listener, uh, Thomas Smith. He was, he was curious because there are going to be four at least four spider characters as they'd featured in the teasers right so we have peter we've got miles and then two spider women jessica and gwen and he was wondering you know how would you kind of create some balance how would you split those characters up you know would you give them each their own book would you have a team up book you know what how would you how would you guys handle that i think to split them up city wise might be for the best like how scarlet spider was set in Houston. Um, Eddie Brock's agent Venom eventually moved to, I want to say, Philadelphia. But I think swapping them around. So we assume that Miles stays in New York with Peter there to occasionally provide support and you just ship the others out, especially Jessica Drew Spider-Woman. I feel like she doesn't have to stay in New York more than anything. I think she can be the sort of globe-trotting spider doing her PI stuff or just in any other city. Mm-hmm. And then just as a new thing to move the move like spider going to another city. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. I'd love to see Jessica in a like in London. I think that'd be great. Oh, that'd be cool. Is Spider Gwen coming to six one six then? Because a couple of a while ago, we could have sworn it was uh, she would she would be unaffected by Secret Wars in the sense that she would stay in her own universe. The latest round of promotional interviews suggests that uh, Gwen will be keeping her own continuity, her own universe, which is great. Um, but mm-hmm. she'll be able to kind of traverse back and forth. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but yeah, she she will be part of the, the kind of main universe as well. But her story will be allowed to be continued to be told so good because i need more of that definitely need more of that one spider character who hasn't been featured in this uh, promotional art and she is as far as we know still in new york is cindy moon also known as silk we had gotten quite a bit of listener feedback asking us to catch up with her story and see what she's all about so why don't we jump in and talk about silk issues one through five Out of the three of us, I think I was the most in favor of at least giving Silk a chance. And like Brian said, fan feedback want us to talk about it a little bit. But let's start off for those who may or may not be aware. Cindy Moon arrived into the Marvel Universe, I suppose, as a result of Original Sin, where Peter remembered that somebody else got bit by the same spider as him. And Cindy kind of had a, a different reaction to what Peter did, where Peter became Spider-Man. 
and learned that with great power must also come great responsibility. Meanwhile, Cindy kind of got forced into a bunker <laughs> in, the middle of, in the middle of New York for about 10 years by Ezekiel Sims, who is now dead, as far as I'm aware. That's correct, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, she does have a lot of the same powers as the regular Spider-Man, except she's a lot faster. Her spider sense is stronger. And she can shoot webs out of her fingers. So she has the natural webs, the thing that people were so opposed to in the Spider-Man movie, because Peter Parker must always have web shooters and all that nonsense. (laughs) But I think with, for the most part, and even I'll admit, even though I now want to talk about this series a lot, that Cindy did not come across too great in her original few issues. I would agree with that. I think there's this, you know, Dan Slott is a huge Doctor Who fan and Doctor Who, just as a quick side note, has a show that's been around for over 50 years and has, as a result, an incredibly extensive continuity. And there are these kind of pivotal moments throughout the series history. And so as the series you know, has gone on and the fan base has gone on, there's, uh, you know, you get the fan fiction and, you know, tie-in novels and comics and things like that, where they'll kind of go back into the original continuity and pick a character in the background and create a whole story around them. And then that story somehow ties into something that you've seen in the main show. And so I was wondering, I thought that approach here, like, the definitive moment in the Spider-Man story is when he's at the exhibition and gets bitten by the spider. So Dan mm-hmm. Slott kind of inserting a new character in there saying, well, somebody else was there and they were bitten as well. I thought, oh, there's, you know, that's an interesting thing to try with Spider-Man. But then the bunker idea was interesting, but what they did with the character, Cindy Moon, I was just, I was cringing the whole time because basically, yeah, she has the spider powers, but she's also how do I put this politely? Like an oversexed <laughs> character that, you know, her overwhelming desire when she's uh, near Peter Parker is that she wants to sleep with him. Yeah. And I'm like, what, who is the, what year, one, what year is this? And two, who is the target demographic for that kind of character? And three, it just seemed really, it just seemed like a colossal step backward considering what was also happening with Spider-Gwen taking off. Like yeah. you have a character, a female lead spider character who is doing amazing things and is a character and you know the, the defining her defining characteristic is not that she's a woman. And then you have the Sil character where she's in this, you know, spray painted on, you know, skimpy outfit and that's all she wants to do is sleep with like that that shouldn't be an attribute of the character. And to I me think- it was like that didn't endear me to this at all. I think the big uh, shock we talked about it off air as well was that Silk had an ongoing series announced. I think it maybe it might have been the day before or around the same time as Spider Gwen, but I think yeah. Silk's was the first one, and then the Spider Gwen announcement might have been like ne- the next one that they said like five minutes later at the um, the. I think it would have been New York Comic Con. But when I saw her, I thought, oh, great. I got I got a flash to the, one of the most hated characters in recent memory, and that's Alpha. <laughs> and I just, when she, honestly, 
the way that she was portrayed in the beginning, I thought, oh God, this is going to be the new character that everybody hates and mm. will probably be gone, even though they were initially supposed to be the big status quo changer. It's safe to say that Silk, right out of the gate, like in compare, and a lot, like they draw a lot of comparisons to Spider Gwen with their their books releasing about the same time, being the same length. Um, it, but it's easy to say that right out of the gate, Spider Gwen was the stronger of the two. Um, she was after Edge of Spider Verse number two. There was the universal acclaim with just everyone loving that book, and then Silk's introduction was met with a lot of. A lot of hate. She wasn't a very strong or good character in particular, and I think Spider Verse continued that trend. But um, this did, it did the same thing with Peter Parker, but it ended up hyping her to be a lot more than she was, which was a bumbling idiot throughout the entirety of Spider Verse. But the same can be said for Peter. It was more of a case that she just never did what she was told. That's yeah, exactly. kind of the annoying part. Like she never listened to anybody. But then at the same time, she bore this like super huge role. Like she could, she was one of the spiders that could not be caught by the inheritor, and and sure enough, she went and did her own thing, and that's exactly what she did. So, Spider Verse did not continue or did not break the trend of people disliking her for sure. Yeah, there's a strange kind of almost resentment that comes with being told that this is the greatest character ever. This is the one you have to cheer for and root for, and you don't get any space to kind of figure that out for yourself. So having Marvel kind of push the character in this way did not warm me to the character. So I was not exactly enthusiastic to read the first issue and the cover, which is uh, technically a great cover by, by Dave Johnson. There's nothing, nothing wrong with it, but that just even the, you know, the way she's drawn there. And I was wondering like, Oh, great. We're going to get more of the same uh, in terms of the art. I like the new costume, but when I opened it and saw the first couple of pages by Stacey Lee, my my attitude changed completely because it was a very different approach to character mm-hmm. design and style. And I thought, all right, I'm curious to give this a shot and and see where it goes. So it was the art that actually caught my eye first. I know the writer, Robbie Thompson, is uh, known for working on the series Supernatural, which is not a series I've seen. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. haven't seen it, but I've heard that, according to some people, it's like the best thing that could happen to television. Yeah, a similar reaction to know. It's one of those things, I think, that I probably would enjoy. But it's like a 10 series in at this point, and I just don't feel like catching up. So Thompson and Stacy Lee, Stacy Lee, uh, who's the artist, had been doing covers for Sp- the Spider-Man and the X-Men series. They had caught the attention of Ellie Pyle, who was an editor uh, at the time. Uh, she's since moved on from Marvel, but she put them together on this on this book. It was an interesting approach to kind of see if they could take the character somewhere new. You know, give her more of a personality, make her more than just this kind of plot device that she had been, and as weak one at that uh, that she'd been in in spider-verse and it took off people really enjoyed it uh it actually started off insanely well um and i think like you said brian it goes back to just making her a character and not just some something for the plot right and even like right off the gate of like maybe the first two or three issues people were um saying that the silk main book was even better than spider gwen's main book so it was a definite step forward in the character and an improvement, and it should have been, or else we wouldn't be here talking about it right now. I've mentioned before, 
I think we mentioned in that episode that that Noah was missing because he was on a holiday or something, that we were talking about the different kind of artists that we'd want to take over males. And then I mentioned that I prefer the more cartoony style. Mm-hmm. And this is what the art style of this book is. It is amazingly beautiful. Stacey Lee's pencils are amazing. Herring's colours are amazing. And I know that... I'm pretty sure, no, you read it in print. I did, yes. And Brian, did you read it in digi- digital? I read digital comicsology. And this is one of the rare occasions where I will, out of, without a doubt, just say that the digital version is just better than the print version because the colors just look that much more amazing than they do in do in print there are scenes like take the first page of the first issue for where she'd fight in dragon claw and Mm. everything just looks amazing and it sets kind of sets the tone for the it allows that style also allows more sort of like quirky moments that you see where Cindy's interacting with people. Because for the Silk, in the context of what's happened to her, she's been, like I mentioned, she's been in that bunker for 10 years and that has formed sort of one of her character traits is that she is still kind of awkward around people because she's only had that Ezekiel Sims pre-recordings to interact with for 10 years. Yeah. So sometimes she just says things without thinking. Sometimes she just cuts to the chase because there's a scene where this kind she's been invited out to go out with other people, but she just she just goes, "What are you do? What are you basically? What are you doing? You know that you both want to go out together. Just do, ask her out and then and go forth with that." And she and as she's saying, she didn't realize what what she said. We were talking about the art. It's so as I was mentioning earlier, like the cover, the Dave Johnson cover is very much in line with how she had been uh, depicted in Spider Verse. Right. So it has that kind of that style or that look. And so this is such a contrast what Stacey Lee is doing. Real, you know, her inking, it's like the really thick lines and these kind of dark, uh, but yet softer colors. Mm-hmm. And you get this, you know, the fight choreography is, I don't think it's anything particularly unusual or exceptional. It's very, it's, it's solid, you know, but within those few pages, you get a, a cool range of, of motion and uh, energy, and even the the close up with her with the her spider sense, or she prefers to call it silk sense. Yeah, like you're saying, it's the word you used, Kyle, was quirky, and I would I would agree with that. It's it's more it's just it's more endearing. It's very it's it's got a kind of strange charm to it, which which I really enjoy. And then I guess the the end of that fight leads me to, I guess, one small issue I have with this book, and that's when Spider-Man arrives. You can't avoid it because both characters are, they're based in New York. And I understand to an extent why you would feature Spider-Man in your Silk story, that you're trying to establish the connection or whatever. But at the same time, he this is not his only appearance in these five issues. He shows up quite a bit. For me, that actually is a distraction and I find it kind of takes away from the opportunity to get to know Cindy on her own because you're always checking in with Peter. Yeah. Fortunately, they tone down the whole, you know, they can't be within, you know, two feet of each other without pawing each other, which again, I just have to mention in the Spider-Man run, 
that was so cringeworthy. Like at one point, I think Anna Maria was actually hosing them down or squirting them with a water <laughs> pistol, which is just uh, enough already. But that fortunately is nowhere, nowhere in this series. But when you keep bringing Peter back, it, it, it takes away from it. And like you'd mentioned, Kyle with Scarlet Spider, having him in Houston, mm-hmm. that was huge for that character because it gives him a chance to set himself up on his own. And Gwen is in her own bubble universe and she is developing as a character on her own. Here, you'll always have Cindy as kind of the also ran. That, I agree that's kind of annoying, but I think it also helps that Cindy kind of also, he doesn't want him around. I know he appears in the book, but she doesn't really want to talk to him. And I think that's more, I kind of like that instead of, oh, Peter, please, please come help me. Help me yeah. fight this bad guy because I can't do anything on my own. Because <laughs> it even happens in the issue, the thing, the first issue of Spider Verse, where she's even trying to get him to leave New York, she, and she'll just deal with it. She's kind of now moved on from the, like you said, always trying to bang him, and just wants him to go away and let her let her be her own person. But unfortunately, he always seems to come back. So that's the true Parker curse. <laughs> so let's talk about what we know. Let's talk about what we know about Cindy as a person. Well, Cindy. Now that she's out of the bunker, is kind of on the hunt now for her parents, who for the most part have been missing for about 10 years. And even the people that lived around there. And her brother. Don't don't forget her brother. Oh, and her brother. Have some remember them. And at the same time, there's a lot more people that just don't remember her at all. And that's just causing more problems for her, making it more difficult for her to find him. We do get that flashbacks to before the spider bite, I suppose. And it's also used as one of, I suppose, it's not even a power, it's just a skill that she had before, where she has an amazing memory. It's kind of like um, Barbara Gordon's, where she just basically remembers everything. But you kind of get more of a look into sort of home life of a teenager, seeming kind of forced, because obviously... There are the disagreements about who you want, who the, the parent may want the child to be around, what the priority should be. Yeah. Is it kind of a stereotype of an Asian household? Um, I suppose. Is it to the degree a negative stereotype? I don't really think so. I don't think this book relies too much on the negativity of anything. Is it a stereotype, do you think? I go off the kind of media that I've seen where it's always the overbearing Asian mother specifically who doesn't want the kid doesn't want the kid to do anything but school do school and it it, it depends on stereotype can kind of mean a bad is usually using this in a negative connotation but I don't, it's kind of hard to decide where I'm at on it but it doesn't it I don't think it kind of deters it drops the quality of the story because I think it only really has appeared at the beginning where she doesn't want Cindy to be dating anybody because the school's more important but she's still having a healthy relationship with other people. And she still mm-hmm. seems to be a normal teenager. She's not just being obedient. She's still disagreeing with him. She's still her own person. She's still, that's again, that, but then at the same time, that's a, t- a stereotype of teenagers. And it's not, and that's a fine one. That's, that's not anything that anyone's going to complain about. I appreciated having a, another minority spider character where, their ethnicity wasn't 
the defining factor in their character. So, you know, you yeah. have Miles, but yeah. they're Miles doesn't drop Spanish into his dialogue. He's not eating, you know, he's not craving certain, you know, quote, ethnic dishes or anything. He's just a kid. He's just a person. And that I've always appreciated that approach. And mm-hmm. so Cindy has, Cindy is Asian. And yeah, I think the scene with her parents, I don't think that's limited to any one ethnicity over another. I think that's just, mm-hmm. you have parents that care, you know, and even the mom's attitude was balanced out by the dad's reactions. Like, oh, whatever. I like Hector. That's, you know, he's cool. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Cindy's, you know, reaction to what she sees as her mom's controlling behavior. That's what young person hasn't gone through that, some version of that yeah. with their parents. So I, I don't think that's, uh, sure. I, I see where you're coming from, Kyle. Um, but I, at the same time, I appreciate where Thompson is going with this and that he didn't really go anywhere with it. He just he put it there and it's very matter of fact. And then we get to her present day life where she is working at the fact channel reporting to a familiar face, JJJ. I was saying the most recent issue, uh, I, I won't like go into it too much for this if there are people who haven't read it, um, but he is such a big softy and, uh, and it's so great. And I think that I think that I like this version of Jameson when he's not busy, like having to check his cholesterol levels every time Spider-Man swings through a window. But um, I think I like seeing this version of JJ that's kind of reminiscent of one six ten JJ who wants to help people out, um, which he does with Cindy um, in the hunt for her parents. So I think I think it's really awesome of him that he, uh, or that he was written not to just be a big jerk whose only focus in life is to hate Spider Man. So I thought it was a nice touch. Back to Cindy's personal life for a second. I think it's also interesting how she's very much on her own, right? She has the roommate friend Lola, but then Lola hooks up with their coworker. And so Cindy moves out and then she has the boyfriend that she runs into again in, in a, in one of the most contrived scenes I've seen probably recently in a comic book, but she crawls out of the sewer and, you know, he just happens to be there with his fiance, of course. Um, Of course. Of course. And so that, door, window, whatever you want to call it, seems to be closed. So she's on her own. And so when she's not being silk, she's at work trying to research, use their resources there to research what could have happened to her family. I think what you bring up with her, uh, with her fiance kind of brings me to a, uh, my one major negative that this book has is I think that it sometimes falls into the trap of sometimes being a bit cliche. It's it's a unique and fun read, but then it sometimes falls into the trap of being a stereotypical, um, just kind of book and just by the numbers kind of book where things happen and it's not something that we haven't seen before. I I'm glad you used the word cliche. I did you guys see the extended preview for the Supergirl TV show? Yeah. I didn't. Okay, you did, Kyle. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. I saw that and it was just in a very unfortunate case of timing. I saw that and then I decided I was going to read Silk. And the similarities were funny because you have this world-class superhero by day or, you know, at night, but then during the day, they're like an intern at this big city office and life is crazy and get the coffee or push these files around doing this low-level work and Suddenly, they're kind of awkward a little bit, you know, in social settings. Yet, when they're a superhero, they're just incredible. And 
those scene there were scenes of Supergirl, you know, at her day job and just the parallel between like you have Cindy running around the fact channel offices. It was just like, oh God, can't we just find something new, you know, for for a character uh to balance their personal life with their superhero life. Especially for women. Yep. I thought that was like, oh, we we can do better than this. I mean, it makes sense. I, I can see why, you know, it's kind of a low profile job with access to all these great resources. So I I can appreciate that. But at the same time, it didn't help to see it echoed on screen so similarly, you know, right around the same time. But it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Because that's, you can say that for a lot of characters, you know, with the ones that have normal ide- secret identities. So people who aren't Batman and uh, just have civilians' identities because Superman goes through these things. Peter Parker, that's polls you can say, did more when he was younger, when he was working at the Bugle. Um, Wally has that sort of thing. Oh, sorry, Barry Allen has that sort of thing. Well, he's a forensic scientist by day and he's the Flash by night. It doesn't didn't really bother me. I just think that the the comparison you made to Supergirl TV show is kind of appropriate, but that show doesn't look that good anyway. So <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Fair. I don't really think it's necessarily a fair comparison. I don't. Mm. I think the light of the way that show was made kind of puts it makes it look more negative. Have more things attributing it to the overall tone of that show. That would be a problem more than it is here, because so far I don't feel I feel like it's committed to the tone that it wants to be, mm-hmm. and the tone that it wants to be something that I think works. So let's talk about Silk's small but growing rogues gallery. So her first villain that she's taking out is Dragon Claw, who, in a great bit of plot planning, actually gets a bit of backstory. So his name is Harris Porter. He's a single dad. And he's just trying to make ends meet. I thought that was – that's not, not necessarily a unique thing again, but a, a good approach just to kind of flesh out this world a little bit because then he and Cindy start to form a bit of a connection. And I think it's worth mentioning that in her first title, in her first couple of issues, Silk is already better at reforming superheroes than Peter is with his multi-million dollar corporation. Uh, so – definitely a good and cool start and I, and I think it was a nice touch and i think the way it's written doesn't feel cliche and it feels honest and endearing and it's it's nice it's a it's a nice touch and uh, i think as a first villain for silk it's appropriate especially for the tone of the book like it's a very fun and light-hearted book um and i don't i don't think we need a uh a carnage-esque supervillain for silk just more of these these small-time fun ones who maybe aren't entirely evil. What do you guys make of using the Black Cat as her arch-nemesis, at least for this first run? Dislike. Dislike? Why? Well, because it just goes back to how much I hate what they've done with Black Cat in the current Amazing Spider-Man series. Um, And I get that they have to continue that because they have to maintain continuity. But... I, I just feel like after everything that's happened with Amazing Spider-Man, I just want them to leave Black Cat alone. I'd rather th- I'd rather them just not bring her up for a while until she comes back and is like, "Hey, sorry, I was kind of being an idiot." See, yeah, here's a, here's why I disagree with the whole thing with Peter Parker. It's just been a, annoying, and with that reason, I'll, I'll agree. 
where she's angry at him for at this point, just for the sake of being angry at him. Mm-hmm. But with this one, it comes out from a different point to where they had no history before. There's no reason why they should be friends because as far as their interactions go, they've only fought each other. It also kind of echoes what they a little bit what they're doing with Catwoman over at DC where she's a crime boss and just keeping it at that level instead of going super power monster. Oh, she's fighting Electro now. Woo. Yeah. And it's someone who's like when she's comparing her powers against each other, the only real difference is, is that black cats a little faster. So they are on a sort of even level. They both, they both can fight, but, Black Cat's a little faster. I think that's a lot more interesting having villains that are kind are kind of similar power wise, instead of having one be ridiculously powerful and then the good guy, oh the plucky good guy, just about managed to, to do it all, the victory. We should jump to issue four, which had a couple of guest appearances. We had a guest artist with Anna Paula Martello. And then the Fantastic Four, what'd you think of that issue? If we, to draw a comparison with Spider-Gwen number four, that one slowed down the story, but without, without detracting from it. But this one kind of just felt like, I mean, yes, Silk went to the Fantastic Four to try to get more info on her parents, correct? No, powers. Oh, okay. There's something wrong with her powers. I would have preferred if they had just stuck to the story with that one, as opposed to going to the Fantastic Four and having this whole side thing. Um, if they had done it and this book was going to be longer and they maintained this relationship between her and Johnny Storm, I would have probably looked over issue number four a little bit. But to know that this book is only seven issues and to kind of like this one just feels like a filler or a throwaway issue where she has this somewhat romantic relationship with the Human Torch. And then aside from that, it just kind of feels like none of it really matters to the grand scheme of things. If that's, I, if that's well, that was that was the weird thing. Like what? romantic relationship with the human torch he was he he was trying to flirt with her Mm -hmm. they go out nothing happens and he gives her a little pep talk or something and then she leaves that was it so i didn't i didn't catch any sort of hint of romance and i think that goes back to what i was saying earlier about cindy's personal life she doesn't really have anybody she's they're Mm -hmm. very almost deliberate and kind of keeping her on her own, even though, I mean, she's been shut away for so long. That's an interesting thing to see that she's having trouble really connecting with anybody, not necessarily even for lack of trying. It's just not working. So, you know, like I was saying, her roommate met somebody else and is busy with that relationship. And then, you know, Peter, she just doesn't want to be near. And then this, you know, with Johnny, nah. I think you're trying to kind of read into it more than it needs to be. It's a, really? It's a first, not, not, I'm talking, no, it's just a first date more than anything. It doesn't have to be like a massive relationship. It's just a first date. Whether they really have anything in common at this point is, is whatever. Well, I, I do think it is a bit, whatever of it happening anyway but they don't have to be like, oh they have to go all um, silk and peter's first meeting well yeah no i'm definitely like, i have no problem with it just being a first date and then leaving it at that but like my biggest gripe with that is mainly that it feels like a filler issue and for a book that's kind of creating an identity that silk can work on her own and is absolutely very capable of it i feel like there's no point in trying to build Johnny Storm as a supporting cast member for her 
And it doesn't work out, and that's fine. But there's no point in going for it when there's already a story going on, and it just, like I said, it just ends up coming across as just trying to fill the pages, just trying to think of something that goes well here. But I feel like if they had just stuck to the arc, it would have done a lot better. Because for me personally, I think issue four was the weakest of the of the first five. To be fair. It's also a new book, and as we said, for a character that not a whole lot of people were necessarily interested in giving a shot. So it's an attention getter to put her on the, you know, with the human torch on the cover and yeah. suggest that there's some great romance that you need to, to find out more about. So I can see, I, you know, not to sound cynical about it because I'm not, but I can see why you would, you would do that because you're trying to get some momentum going and try to get people interested and hopefully ready to follow your character forward. But you're right. In terms of plot, it was really just kind of a sidestep uh, until we get back to the main story and the revelation that the repairman who had been helping the black cat with all these modifications to her goons is actually not working for the black cat. He ends up betraying her because he reveals that he's working for the people that have Cindy's family. What did you make of that cliffhanger? Did you, <laughs> were you excited by that? Interested? Or were you like, ah, whatever. I think as far as cliffhangers go, it was pretty, um, I didn't see it coming really, but at the same time. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was just whatever. I, I, I don't feel positively or negatively about it i just feel like okay where's this gonna go now that he's apparently working with them i i would have expected somebody who seemed more imposing i suppose for sure more more than just it looks like the the underling of an underling of an underling that kind of knows what's going on I don't think this changes anything really, right? Like, I don't think Sandy's going to go, oh, he has my parents. There's no game plan change here. She's still going to, we we know that next issue, she's still going to fight for her life and and then possibly even see her parents in that issue trying to save them. It's just interesting to look at these five issues so far and you just look at the covers. I mean, the first one was a uh, profile shot of Cindy, but then you've got the Hydra logo, you've got Black Cat kicking her in the face, a date with Johnny Storm, and then Spider-Man and Silk taking on the Black Cat. These are all a t- great attention-getting covers when you actually read those stories. You know, the stories themselves don't necessarily play out that way. It was a Hydra robot. You know, Cindy and Johnny's date was kind of just an evening out. And even during this big climactic battle with Spider-Man, Spider-Man takes Harris and his daughter away to the hospital, right? And Cindy's left alone with the black cat. And then the black cat's plan is shut down by the repairman anyway. But it, it, for me, it's just like, I I think as we're talking through it, I don't know, is it fair to say that none of us are really fired up about this book? I, for us, this is speaking for me personally. Um, but I, I think that it's a book that had it be, had it be continued longer. I don't see any problem with continuing to read, um, even on just the basis of the art alone, but even the writing, all of it's done, not spectacularly, but not, not poorly that I don't want to pick it up. So, I mean, I mean, we were fired up about spider Gwen. I am less so fired up for this book, but not in the sense that it's a bad book. Like I would recommend checking it out. 
I, I think for me, it's just like, as I was mentioning, just with the stuff with the covers, like it's relying. And again, I know why, but it relies so heavily on existing familiar Marvel elements. Yeah. I think the writing is fine. The art, as we've mentioned, the art and the colors, beautiful. And to me, that's, that's the selling point of the book is the visuals, but absolutely story wise, I don't know if it's just an inherent flaw of the character, you know, the character herself. I, I can see where they're, you're trying to make her interesting and trying to build her story out a little bit, but what we're getting, as we've said, it's, I think it's all very competently, you know, satisfactorily delivered. I don't have an issue with that, but it's, it just feels, nor use the word cliched. I, yeah, I do have this feeling of like, I feel like I've seen this type of story before. Yeah. And so even the twist that the repairman knows who Cindy is, like Kyle said, so I would not want it to devolve into constantly comparing it to Spider-Gwen because it's not, it's its own separate thing. I just think the timing of Spider-Gwen having happening to break at the, at the same time this book was coming out didn't really help because you're seeing how it can be done when you work to, to build things up in one way and kind of going in these un, what I would say unpredictable directions versus this other way where you constantly have to, in the five issues so far, you're falling back on the familiar just to kind of walk you through it. Mm. So bringing in the black cat, having Spider-Man check in constantly, you know, the fantastic four it's, that's not happening in the other book. And so that's, that's, I think that's only underscoring the difference. So this is a very enjoyable read as I, as far as I'm concerned, but I would not say anything I've read is essential. That's not a slam on the creators at all. It's just, I, I think it's the character for me well, anyway. As all of us here being huge Miles fans, not just for his character, but also just for the diversity that he brings to the Marvel universe. I think Silk, I, I we, we talk very often about more, uh, more black superheroes. When you think about diversity, like it's instantly equated with black, but I think that it'd be nice that we could see someone that was representative of a nationality that was different because the only, honestly, if, uh, if I'm thinking honestly, the only major Asian heroes I can think of are Jubilee and Amadeus Cho off the top of my head. So I think it's nice to see the the diversity that she brings to the whole Marvel universe as a whole. I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I think to Kyle's point earlier, uh, in terms of breaking Cindy away, like look at Scarlet Spider and what Chris Yost and Ryan Stegman did, just moving to Houston. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have all this new territory to play with, you know, not just in terms of the city, but in terms of your characters. So send Cindy to, I don't know, California. She could be out there, San Diego or Los Angeles or San Francisco, whatever, and then set up something new. But setting her in New York, where the Baxter building is based, where Peter Parker and the Fact Channel and the Black Cat, and they're all, they're all hanging out. Then you just keep falling back into that. And I think it could have been, it could have, it could have helped just, you know, just to kind of push her away further out on, on her own in that respect. Yes, I know her family is based there. So that's where she's focusing her search, but it, it could have, it could have helped her out too, just to, to break her away. And because who knows where her family is now? They're not necessarily there. So maybe, you could do that with her going forward for however long she's going to stick around. Who knows? And Kyle, your, your thoughts? At this stage, I can say there's like three books that I would say are must-reads anyway. On the ones that I enjoy, I think people should at least check out. Silk is on there. Maybe move her out now that she's on. She's looking for her parents. It doesn't mean that they're only going to be in New York. That might be 
something that could have aided the book, and it still could. For all we know, issue five or, or issue six could be them finding out, oh, they're not in New York now, and she's chasing down leads to find out where these where they are. They're in Wales. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they'd rather kill themselves. Um, but it falls into the trap, which I'm sure Miles is still going to fall into that trap as well, of it being a spider book, so he's going to have to follow the rules of spider books, where he will probably face Miles and Peter Parker villains. So that, for me, I don't think that's a really that fair of a criticism against it, against the people that they're fighting. Hmm. The interactions with the villain here, like I mentioned, I enjoyed it with Black Cat. I enjoyed her interactions growing a, a, a relationship of sorts with Dragon Claw, which I thought, I thought the way she was calling him a, him a Pokemon was kind of funny because, yeah. she'd been, again, she'd been locked in a chamber for 10 years. She knows Pokemon. He looks like a bloody Pokemon. He looks like an evolved Pokemon later on. <laughs> well, it looks more like a Digimon at the beginning. And he eventually looks like a Pokemon later on. But hey, um, that it is what it is. Do you guys want to score these five issues just as a whole? As a whole, I would give this. I would give this a seven. It's 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 good. It's good stuff. I'm gonna say same for me. Uh, Six point five to seven out of ten in just like the just the good range. Like you'd be doing yourself a favor to pick this up. Uh, and it, yeah, it's good. It's not a, it's not a bad book by any means. Like we we've been we've been harping on about how it can be cliche at times, but as a whole, I've had a good time reading this book, and I know a lot of other people have. So even just on the merits of art alone, which we've brought up a lot, but Stacy Lee's art is fantastic. I loved it. At worst, it probably which is probably kind of annoying of the whole changing artist and then introducing Fantastic Four and all of that is probably the lowest point of the book. But I yeah. really did enjoy the highlight was probably the parts with her inter- her fight her fighting with Dragon Claw and then and her and the actual fight sequences against the black cat. So I'm fine with giving it an eight. At its best it can get an eight and at its lowest again issue four it just starts to go into the okay range. What is going on where you're scoring things higher than we are? Yeah, I was because about to say. I'm enjoying life at the moment. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a All new right. Kyle. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's a changed man. It's my face turn. I told you that episode and turning face. Baby face. No more heel, Kyle. <laughs> no more what? Wrestling terminology. My people get it. You get me. All my wrestling people that are listening understand what I'm saying. No more heel, Kyle. Okay. (laughs) Kyle and his scripted drama. (laughs) Hey, it's awesome. So, True Believers, what do you think of Silk so far? And while we can guess, how do you feel about Miles Morales as Spider-Man and Peter Parker as his mentor? Let us know on Twitter at The Ultimate Spin or on our Facebook page at Ultimate Spin Podcast. You can also reach us over at ultimatespinpodcast.com, where you can also find show notes for this episode, stream or download our earlier shows. And as a reminder, we're still looking for iTunes reviews. Post a review, send us a note, and we'll send you free Marvel Digital Comics. It's that easy. We'll be back next month to check in with Miles and Gwen in Secret Wars. Catch you then. 
for the ultimate spin. 